0: John chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning about this topic when the wine runs out. John Mayo was a, a lieutenant. The of was, the battle of the was uh, shipped in a cattle car to the infamous POW camp at Andersonville, deep in the heart of Georgia there it is pictured up on the screen. Andersonville was 26 acres of open meadow surrounded by a 15-foot-high stockade fence. The only source of water for the POWs was a small brook that ran through the camp. That was also where they washed, where they drank, and where they used the latrine. It was actually downstream from a Confederate camp, and according to John Mayle, In his memoir he says the place became a vast cesspool on which countless swarms of flies settled and the entire camp emitted the terrible odor of death. Conditions inside the camp went from squalid to desperate when a terrible drought gripped the land that summer. And very soon hundreds were dying of disease and going insane with thirst. Mail was a man of faith though and he and a handful of prisoners in the camp began praying for God to either end the war or to somehow provide fresh water before they all perished. Now we'll discover what happened a little later on to John Male toward the end of this message but that desperate plot sets the stage for a miracle. By the way, every miracle in the Bible is preceded by a problem. You see, before God breaks through, there's usually a breakdown in human resources, strength, and knowledge. We all want to see a miracle from God, but the truth is we don't want to be in a situation that requires one. Now, the Gospel of John is unique for many reasons. Most assuredly because it is organized around what is called the seven sign miracles of John that display his deity, that he is the Son of God. In fact, Philip Yancey, a great Christian writer, he said this, quote, the miracles of Jesus were snapshots of the supernatural. With each healing, exorcism, or provision, Jesus was breaking the chains of sin and death, giving a glimpse of what the world was meant to be, and instilling hope that one day God will right all wrongs. Now, out of all Jesus' miracles, I think that his first one here in John chapter 2, turning the water into wine, is most fascinating. And this is my favorite story from the Gospel of John. Now, you would think that Jesus' big coming-out miracle to inaugurate his ministry would be something astounding like calling fire down from heaven or raising somebody from the dead. Instead, as you read John chapter 2, he manifests his creative power in a backwoods village at a wedding for just a few people. The situation wasn't life or death like it was for John Mayle in Andersonville, but nonetheless, the situation mattered to Jesus. As we study Jesus' first sign miracle today, we're going to learn what to do When the wine runs out. Now, what I mean by that is that at some point in our lives, we're all going to arrive at the place where we need resources, where we're either physically or spiritually depleted. And I think that this passage shows us that when we are running empty, whether it be in our ministry or in our marriage, whether it be in our finances or our faith, whatever the situation might be, when the resources are running out, this passage shows us what to do. I want to start, number one, by pointing out to you the sudden trouble at the wedding. The sudden trouble at the wedding, and we'll read the first four verses together. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. and Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I have officiated and been involved in several weddings, and I can tell you uh, something unexpected always happens. I don't think there's one wedding that's gone perfectly as planned. There always is some kind of monkey wrench that gets thrown in the mix. And as you know, if you've Remember back to your wedding day or you've uh, participated in a wedding, there's a lot of moving pieces, aren't there? And people get nervous, folks who aren't usually accustomed to uh, being in public uh, in terms of uh, participating in something that's ceremonial. Well, funny things happen. I can remember at my sister's wedding, this is my younger sister, Melissa, uh, I went to go get my tux and, of course, I didn't really spend time trying it on. And when I got there on the wedding day, I think the shoes that I had gotten were about two sizes too small. <laughs> and uh, no one was more ready to hear them say, I do, and get that thing over with than me, because I had to get those shoes off my aching feet. But uh, I'm reminded of the young preacher who was uh, really nervous about uh, performing his first wedding. And during the, the ceremony, he had planned on reading a Bible scripture from 1 John Four And verse eighteen, which says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Well, when the moment arrived, the uneasy preacher began to fumble in his Bible, and he ended up turning to John uh, chapter four and verse 18, and he turned to the bride and said, uh, "You have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband." <laughs> so if something's going to go wrong. It's going to go wrong at a wedding, and when I officiate, I always tell the bride, now look, they even ran out of wine at the wedding where Jesus was, so don't expect everything to go uh, like you had fantasized in your mind. Now, back to our text. In this ancient Middle Eastern context, hospitality is especially important. To run out of wine during the feasting would have been a tremendous embarrassment to this wedding party. I don't know who planned this thing, but somebody miscounted the number of guests or maybe they underestimated the depth of the wine vats. Either case, they come to Jesus with a problem. Mary, Jesus' mother, enters the picture there in verse 2 and she tells Jesus that they have run out of wine. Now, nobody knew Jesus better than Mary. And her maternal instinct is right on point. If anybody could fix this faux pas, it would be her supernatural son. But Jesus gives a cryptic response. Verse 4, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What is Jesus saying there? In other words, Jesus is saying, mom, this isn't my time or place. I was planning on revealing my true identity. You see, you need to remember that Jesus is operating under a heavenly timetable set by the will of the Father. In fact, the idea that every moment of Jesus' life is precisely planned and ordained by God is an important theme that runs throughout John's gospel. And you will find this term, my hour, as Jesus uses it here, several other places throughout the scriptures. In fact, notice this. You'll see the term not only here in chapter 2, but in chapter 7 and verse 30. 8 and verse 20, chapter 12, verse 23, 13, 1, and 17, 1 in his high priestly prayer when he finally says, my hour has come. What was his hour? The moment when he was to sacrifice himself as the Lamb of God on the cross. And so the reality is, if you understand this miracle, it would start the clock ticking towards Calvary. Now notice Jesus did not say to her outright, no, But he had a subtle solution in mind whereby he could honor the requests of his mother without creating a circus scene of excitement that would draw unwanted attention to himself before the appointed time. You see, everything that our Lord does in this miracle, as you'll notice, is intended to minimize publicity. And Jesus knew how he could meet this need and keep perfect time. By the way, it's interesting that earlier on in the text it says that Jesus was invited to the wedding. (laughs) That's important. Because uh, therefore, because he was invited, that means he could be part of the solution. Friend, you would be surprised where Jesus would show up if you would just invite him in to your situation. Hey, have you invited Jesus into your problem yet? Uh, I've been in services. You've been there as well where you walk in. And you can feel that it's cold, you can feel that it's stale, you can feel even in the singing and the worship where you're facing opposition, right brother? And it seems like there's a wall standing against you and you know what you have to do? You have to stop and you have to pray and you have to invite Jesus into the situation to drive out the enemy, otherwise you won't get anything done that time. You see, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20 that he's standing at the door knocking. How many times have we shut him outside the church? We've shut him out of our marriage. We've shut him out of our relationships. We've shut him out of our finances, out of our health, out of our lives. And yet, the Bible says here that Jesus was invited. You see, when you invite him into the situation, something happens. Now, Mary knew Something interesting here. And she teaches us a good rule of thumb when the wine runs out, when the resources are low, when your needle is on empty. Here it is. It's so profound. You ready for this? You might fall off your seat. Take your problem directly to Jesus. That's what she does. The first thing Mary did is usually the last thing that we do. We we treat prayer as a spare tire in case we need it. But we take our problem to everyone else first and then to God as some kind of last resort. But this small request shows us, hey, that the Lord's near is turned to our request no matter how big or how small they may be. I think my Bible still says, cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. Cast all. All means all, and that's all that all can mean, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how inconsequential they might mean to you and me. Do you believe that God cares, that God knows, that God sees today? You see, Mary knew an intimate truth about Jesus that we need to learn this morning. If it matters to me, it matters to Christ. Let me say that again. If it matters to me, it matters to Jesus. Why did Jesus do this miracle? As you study this passage. You see that it wasn't to impress a crowd. It wasn't to necessarily convince anybody of his deity yet. Because Jesus wanted to stay out of the line. It's not my hour he said. He didn't do it because he had to do it. The reason I think that Jesus does this miracle is because he cares. Let me give you an illustration of that. A few years ago. <laughs> when Abigail's sister. Was still a toddler. She uh, she had this one particular bottle that she loved the most. And for some reason it was the only bottle that she would take. You remember that, babe? That one bottle. Dare not lose that bottle or your life would be misery until you could find it again. Well, what happened, of course, in our three ring circus home. The bottle went missing. Panic ensued. I mean, Abigail was squalling. Caitlin was about to tear her, her hair out. She says, you've got to help me find this thing. So we tear the house apart looking for this baby bottle. And finally, after searching high and low, we could not locate this baby bottle. I looked at Kayla and I said, you know what? We're going to have to stop. We're going to have to ask God to help us to find this thing. Hey, you ever lost your keys, lost your wallet, lost your glasses, and you have to stop and retrace your steps? And you know what we ought to do? We ought to stop and pray. If it matters to me, it matters to God. So I stopped, and it wasn't very long. I just said, Lord, I can't even think enough to pray. There's so much screaming and crying going on in this house. Lord, you've got to help us to find this baby bottle. Well, as I walked by my nightstand, I kind of felt like, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me and said, look in there. So I go over to, now who would think a baby bottle inside a nightstand? But I opened that top drawer, and there was that baby bottle nestled deep inside uh, that front drawer and the only thing that we can think is that in, in her mischief she just opened she was done with it she opened it and put it in there and closed it. Up. <laughs> but hey, listen to me, if the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head, if he cares about an empty wine glass and a lost baby bottle, then he cares about your little problem too. You see, listen to me friend, Today, God is not great just because nothing is too big for Him. God is great because nothing is too small for Him. He's mighty enough to uh, make the stars and to walk on water and to heal all disease, but He's also caring enough to wipe away my tears, to fill my cup, to meet my need, to answer my prayer, and to see to it that my little request gets filled. Lord, we're out of wine. What are we going to do? You see, you can cast all your care upon him because he cares. Well, that was a sudden trouble at the wedding, but then I want you to see today the secret task of the workers. The secret task of the workers. Notice verse 5 and following. The Bible says, And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. That's good advice. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them halfway, three quarters, up to the brim, the Bible says. Now Mary gives one of the most simple and also important nuggets of wisdom ever spoken. Whatever he tells you to do... Do it. Friend, that's the next step when the wine runs out, when the resources are low, when you don't know what to do. Once you've taken your problem to Jesus, do whatever he tells you to do. You say, well, how do I find that out? In this book right here. Or he may speak to you in a very unmistakable way, but we are to follow through with total obedience. Now, had you and I been there, taking direction from Jesus. We, you know what we would have said? Because we're modern people and we think that we're smarter than the people in the Bible, but really we're not all that different. What we would have done had we been in that situation, we would have curled up our little nose and furrowed our brow and said, you know what, Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Why are we filling these water pots over here? Mary said they're out of wine. What are we doing? Don't we need to go to the store? Don't we need to find somebody to sell us? Jesus just doesn't add up. What's, how's the water going to help us? But here's what I want you to see. You don't have to understand fully to obey completely. And listen to this. Ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary blessing. Filling water pots isn't glamorous, is it? It's tedious. Imagine if the servants would have only filled those pots partially and not up to the brim. They would not have received the fullness of what Christ had intended for them to have. And here's what I wrote down in my notes this week as I studied. A brim full of obedience equals a brim full of blessings. Several years ago, it was an Easter Sunday. And I was so looking forward to preaching that morning. I had spent days, maybe even a couple of weeks, trying to polish and hone in on this Easter message because every preacher knows they're going to get their largest crowd on Christmas and Easter. And you better not mess up those days, right? you can't preach on Easter, man, I'm telling you what. But I spent time working till I thought I had this message absolutely perfect, as good as it was going to be. But I can remember the night before, God wouldn't let me go to bed. That ever happened to you? God won't let you sleep? And I sat there in anticipation of the next day's excitement. I had to do uh, the early morning service too, sunrise. And I was just tossing and turning. It was about 2 a.m. I remember God just speaking to me so directly. And God was leading me to change that message in a different direction. I said, God, I've spent almost three weeks on this. I'm sure I've got it down to where it needs to be. But he would not let me go to sleep in peace. So I got up in the wee hours of the morning. And I I, I revamped that message to the direction that I thought that maybe the Lord would be honored by. So that next morning, we were getting ready to start that service. Not the sunrise service, but the regular worship service. And a gentleman came up to me. He said, Pastor, he said, I want you to know today's a day of answer prayer. I said, Really? He said, I've been working on my mama. He said, Finally today, Easter Sunday, he said, I got my mama convinced to come to church. He said, And she needs the Lord. And it began to dawn on me, maybe at that point, why God had kept me up the night before. Well, as I began to preach, I. I can still show you the place where she was sitting right behind uh, Brother Stacy right there in about that third pew back. And as I began to preach, she started off stone-faced. She started out grim. She started out just serious as a heart attack. But as I began to preach, oh, the Holy Spirit started working on her. And you could see the change in her face. And by about the time I got to the second point in my message, I think she was ready to come forward and be saved. And I could see the tears starting to roll off her face. And by the time we got to the invitation and we stood up to sing, oh, she, she about slid on her nose like a baseball slide to come to the altar. She, she came forward. She said, Preacher, I want you to know, she said, I've been running from God. She said, uh, but your message was just for me. She said, I'm terrified of death. I've got to get saved today. And I wanted to jump up and shout that morning because I understood at that moment why God had changed up my schedule, why He said the message did not right, because He knew something that I didn't know. And I ought to just obey completely, even though I didn't understand fully. And we got to see the blessing that day as that dear lady gave her testimony that she was saved gloriously at the altar. Hey, remember the old song, Trust and Obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey you see when we obey immediately and completely we see God work in some unexpected ways listen to me friend I can fill water pots but I can't change the water into wine I can preach but I can't convict somebody of their sin I might be able to play the guitar but I can't strum on somebody's heartstrings the way the Holy Spirit can I can do the natural but only God can do the supernatural You see, friend, some of you need to listen real carefully this morning because things hadn't changed in your life. You feel like you're beating your head against the wall. It's the same old grind, same old blase thing every day. Your wine is run out. There's no resources. There's no joy. There's no change. And you know why? There's nothing that changes in your life because you haven't done what God has asked you to do. He'll take care of the life change. He'll take care of the transformation. He'll take care of the miracle. He'll take care of the deliverance. But have you taken the first step that he's asked you to do? You See, we got this backwards in our Christian life. Some say, well, I'll start giving when all my bills are paid and I'm out of debt, which means never, right? God says, no, you obey me. You trust me with what doesn't make sense, seems to be counterintuitive. You put me first. Give, and then you'll see the blessing. Some people, I hear people say, well, I'll come to church when I get my life straightened out. I'll bring my kids to church when they're a little bit older. And you know what? Someday, never comes. You see, it's backwards. But you know what, what we need to do? We need to remember that blessing follows obedience. You see, worship first when you don't feel like it. Worship first, raise your hands in praise and give Him glory even when you don't feel like a Christian on a Sunday morning. And then you'll see the blessing, then you'll see the revival, then you'll see God open up the windows of heaven. Forgive first, and then you'll see the reconciliation. Some people are saying, "Oh, I'm waiting on them to come to me, I can't forgive them. Uh, You don't know what they did to me, Pastor. No, you forgive them first like God's Word says you do, and then you'll see God move in an unmistakable way. Some churches uh, want to do all kinds of programs and, and different attractional things to uh, bring people in. But you know what the Bible says? Go and make disciples. That means open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. Invite them to church. You evangelize first and then He'll allow your church to grow. You see, when we do what God has asked us to do, then He'll do the thing that only He can do. That's the secret task of the workers. And number three, look at this. The surprising transformation into wine. The surprising transformation into wine. Verse 8. The Bible says, And he said to them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that now become wine, and did not know from where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone who serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Let me ask you a question. Put yourself in their sandals. How would you have liked to have been the one who was charged with the task of dipping the cup down in that vat of water and taking it over to the master of ceremonies and said, Here. Try this. I bet you that servant was sweating bullets as he was walking across the courtyard to give that cup to the MC. But at some point, the Bible says we don't know when, but at some point across the courtyard, as that journey is made, the molecular structure of that water gets changed into the sweetest and best tasting wine that human taste buds had ever tasted. And when he put it up to his lips, he said, my, this is awesome. The surprising transformation into wine. Now, the transformation of that liquid is a wonderful picture of what Jesus does in our lives when he is our Lord and Savior. I want you to notice two important attributes of this miracle and what it means for us. Notice a transformation into abundant quantity. Abundant quantity. The Bible says in verse 6, notice this very carefully, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. So when they took these pots and they filled them up all the way to the brim, what the Bible is telling us is that the miracle produced more wine than this whole wedding party could ever drink. You do the math, about 150 gallons, or they say 908 standard bottles of wine by today's measurement. Friend, what a tremendous gift this would have been to the wedding party because they could have either kept that or sold the surplus for themselves. But I think that this is a picture of the abundant, overflowing grace that Jesus gives to each one who repents of sin and trusts in Him. Did He not say in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You thought partying and drinking without the Lord was fun. You thought running around with the wrong crowd was a lot of fun. You thought premarital sex was going to bring you joy and fulfillment. But then, oh, when you met the Lord Jesus, He opened up the Niagara Falls of joy and peace and goodness and forgiveness and grace and mercy into your heart. You didn't know what real joy was all about. You didn't know what abundant life was like until Jesus stepped in and changed your life and transformed you from a sinner into a trophy of His grace. Oh, friend, there's a deep symbolism in this miracle. Just as those pots are filled with water, you know the first miracle that Christ does in the heart of a sinner is that He fills them up with the Holy Spirit. And once we're filled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to change us, begins to transform us, the Bible says, into a new creation. And His Holy Spirit will begin to produce fruit in our lives just as the water was turned into the fruit of the vine. Love what Adrian Rogers said. He said, nature forms us, sin deforms us, education informs us, religion reforms us, but only Jesus can transform us. I heard a story of an old boy who was a hopeless alcoholic. I mean, he was a raging alcoholic to the point to where he had lost about everything. His wife was about to walk out on him. And she gave him an ultimatum. She said, you got to choose. It's either the liquor or it's me and the kids. And this old fellow had just about drunk his family into the gutter. I mean, he'd take that week's paycheck, and he'd go to the bar or he'd go to the ABC store, and he'd blow that check even when the kids needed shoes and even when they needed uh, groceries, uh, he'd spend it on liquor. Well, somebody eventually invited this old boy to an old-fashioned revival meeting. And as the preacher was preaching hot and heavy, God started working on the heart of that young man and he came forward and he got gloriously saved. You believe God can still do that today? And God so delivered this young man that immediately, I'm talking about didn't have to wait at all, immediately God delivered him from the addiction of alcoholism and took the taste for liquor right out of his, out of his mouth. He no longer had the craving for alcohol, didn't care a thing in the world about beer or wine or hard drink. I mean, God just completely delivered him. Well, he went back to work. People started noticing a change in him. Started carrying his Bible, reading his Bible on lunch breaks. Noticed that he didn't curse and, and corrals with the fellows like he once did. And you know, the devil, he'll always try and trip us up. You just thought your problems were bad, but you get a new set of problems when you get saved, don't you? Because now you've got a set of crosshairs on your back. The devil's aiming for you. He wasn't after you then because he already had you. Now he don't have you anymore, and he's trying to trip you up. All oh, his buddies, they tried to trip up this old boy. One man asked me, he said, You really think Jesus did all those miracles? I mean, come on. <laughs> Walking on the water, healing the blind. You really think that Jesus turned the, the water into wine? Are you some kind of fool? And so, boy, he hadn't been a Christian long, but here's what he said. He said, I don't know much of my Bible yet. He said, but here's what I do know. I know that Jesus turned beer into furniture. I know that Jesus turned hard liquor into clothes and food for my family. I know Jesus took a miserable wretch and made him into a family man. Now you explain that. You see, that's the transformation that he did in the wine and what he can do in the heart. Not only of abundant quantity, but a transformation of superior quality. Notice what... The MC said in verse 10, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. You see, they would say the inferior wine to the end when everybody had gotten a little tipsy and had already drunk what they were supposed to. But there's an interesting theme that runs through this miracle. You notice this. Everybody has a certain set of expectations In this scene When the people go to the wedding They expect wine And guess what They they didn't have any They ran out Mary expects Jesus to fix the problem But he says to her It's not my time The servants don't know what to expect But when Jesus tells them to get water (laughs) That was really surprising One servant is expecting to give the MC water But when the MC brings it up to his lips All of a sudden it's the best tasting wine you see the in, and then the MC when he got it he said I was expecting the inferior stuff but what you have given me is the best friend that's how God works you know the world's got this thing backwards you see the way that sin and satan work satan offers you the 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 best first and then it operates on the law of diminishing returns that's how sin works sin offers us the Pleasure of sin for a season And then you know what The new wears off Then the addiction comes in Then the slavery of sin sets in And it's not what it was advertised It would be But you know what With God the longer I serve Him The sweeter He grows and ultimately what God does is He saves the best for last. And one day the Bible says we'll have a sinless, ageless, deathless body in eternity. And one day, according to Revelation 19, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible says that Christ will serve us some of the best tasting food and drink we've ever had. Why? Because He saves the best for last. Superior quality. I heard a story about a woman who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. doctor said, you got three months to live. So she was a woman of faith. She contacted her pastor. She said, Pastor, I need you to come over to my house. I've got some bad news. We need to start planning my funeral service. So they began to meet, and she had it all planned out. She said, Pastor, this is my favorite scripture. I want you to, to read this scripture and preach from this. And then... Uh, could you get a Sister Susie to sing that song? And, and here's the kind of flowers that I want at, at, uh, at my funeral. And I've got one more request. She said, Pastor, I know this is going to sound weird, but she said, when they bury me, make sure they put a fork in my right hand. Pastor said, ma'am, I've been doing funerals for over 20 years. I've never heard anything like that. Why in the world do you want to be buried with a fork in your right hand? Here's what she said. She said, in all my years of attending church dinners and potlucks, she said, my favorite part of that was when they clear away the main course and the lady running the kitchen would stand up and say, make sure you keep your fork. The best is yet to come, she said, because I knew. That was going to mean that my favorite part was about to happen, the chocolate cake the apple pie the strawberry shortcake, the lemon meringue pie the carrot cake the apple dump cake somebody in the house of god say amen and she said to her pastor she said when people see me laying in that casket with a fork in my hand she said i can't tell them but i want you to tell them that god said the best is yet to come And friend, that's the final application today that when the wine runs out, hey, expect the unexpected. God can and God is able and God will meet your need. You just trust and obey. But I'm telling you, it likely won't come in the way that you think it will come. But He will make a way. He will meet the need. And He'll blow your hair back with what He can do in His miracle working power. And just remember that for the child of God who serves Him the best is yet to come. God meets needs in unexpected ways and He exceeds our expectations. Verse 11, and I notice this. I close today. This is the first of His signs Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. You see, this first miracle was all that the disciples needed to convince that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in a body. He was the Son of God. And it's interesting to me that if you study this miracle, it all goes under the radar, don't it? For nearly everybody except a few. The wedding party didn't know. The guests didn't know. The MC didn't know what really had transpired behind the scenes. But the Bible says that the disciples knew they were there serving behind the scenes and they saw what Jesus said and what Jesus could do. And friend, here's the final application for you. If you uh, follow the Savior closely, you're going to see him do things that other folks aren't privy to see. You see, friend, it pays to follow Jesus. It pays to be the friend of the Savior. It pays to serve Him. It pays to pray because you see unanswered. Uh, Prayers uh, finally answered It pays to serve the Lord When he finally casts that mountain into the sea And opens the door And gives the healing And grants the request It pays to serve Jesus Because you get to see lives change And souls transformed Hey, it pays to come to the house of God On a cold January morning Because he fills your cup And he meets your need You see, it pays to serve Jesus There was just a few in that little wedding party who got to see something The rest of the crowd missed Oh, there's tribulation in serving God Oh, yes, there's tears Oh, yes, there's valleys There's times when you want to give up and throw in the towel. There's times when you wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? But I'm telling you, if you just keep serving Him, if you keep filling those water pots, if you keep obeying, if you keep serving Him in the little place that He's given you, I guarantee you, you're going to see some things. You're going to see God do some miracles in your midst, and you'll walk away convinced. Don't tell me there's not a God. Don't tell me this Bible ain't true. Don't tell me it's just old and myth. It's real. My God is real. He still saves. He still transforms. He still delivers. He still casts mountain into the sea. He still opens doors. He still brings marriages back together again. He still removes the burdens. He still transforms the the lives into something that only God can do. Remember John Mayle? Dying of thirst. With hundreds of other men in the Andersonville POW camp. Here's the amazing way that God met their need. Male and several other men started daily reading scripture, praying for God to send deliverance. Oh Lord, send water or end the war, was their prayer. Remember, the only source of water in the camp was that little meadow brook, but it was all now dried up because of putrefaction. It was contaminated. Mail said that the prayer meetings went on for days. No answer from heaven. Then one morning, they awoke to an eerie stillness. You ever wake up and just feel like God's going to do something that day? You ever come to church, and you can just feel the movement of the Spirit, and you say, God's going to, God's, God's about to break loose today He said by mid-morning the black clouds had rolled in And at long last the camp was delused by a cloud burst And John Mel wrote in his memoir When the flood came upon us It was as if millions of buckets of water Was all being poured out at once Does he ever do anything halfway? In the middle of the storm A shaft of lightning struck the ground And as the rain subsided, men began to shout, It's a spring! It's a spring of water! The lightning strike had opened up an underground spring that had began shooting up from the ground like a geyser. Soon a trough was built to channel an endless supply of water to the prisoners. In fact, the spring still gurgles to this day. And if you go to Andersonville camp and you tour the National Prisoner of War Museum, you can walk over to a little stone shelter. It's called Providence Spring. And there's an inscription written across it. It says, God smote the hillside and gave them drink August 16th of 1864. That's my God. So I'm wondering today, are you running on empty? Has the wine run out in your life? Is there any joy in your life? Jesus is still filling up cups and still transforming souls today. Are your resources bone dry? I know a man who can. As we stand for invitation today, maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to be prayed for. Maybe you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you are bone dry. And you need God to meet the need in a powerful way. You can come. And we'd love to meet you at the altar for whatever the need might be today. As Brother Preston leads us, you be obedient to what God would have you to do. Thank you, Brother.